Thank you for joining IRW Coffee Break. This is a podcast series hosted by KPMG IRW specialists within the Washington National Tax Practice to discuss current topics in the field of information reporting and withholding. Every episode will discuss a discrete area of interest in a brief segment. So we invite you to grab a cup of coffee or just get comfortable while we explore all things IRW. Hi, and thank you for joining this episode of IRW Coffee Break. I'm Lori Hatton-Boyd, and I'm here today with Ellis Prendergast. Ellis is a Managing Director in KPMG's Information Reporting and Withholding Practice. Today, Ellis and I will be recapping certain information related to the 2021 Form 1099 filing obligations. Hi, Lori. Thanks for having me today. These obligations are definitely approaching rapidly. I hope to share some insight into what payers can expect this year and what changes they should be on the lookout for. I'm going to start us off with a quick reminder about upcoming deadlines. If you're filing paper forms, then they're due to the IRS by the last day of February of the year following the payment, with exceptions. If you're filing electronically, then you're given about an extra month. So forms are generally due to the IRS by the last day of March, the year following the payment. Two notable points to cover here. The deadline for filing forms 1099-NEC, however, um, filed on paper or electronically, is the last day of January this year. So these forms are going to be due January 31st, 2022. And generally, you have to file forms electronically if you file 250 or more of the same type of information return. Now that rule was generally set to fall to 100 in 2021 and 10 in subsequent years. However, we haven't seen any regulations that have reduced the threshold. If those regulations aren't finalized, then we'll continue to rely on the 250 threshold. For pay statements, generally filing forms via paper or electronically, forms are due to the payees at the last day of January of the year following the payment. As with information returns, there are some exceptions. These are going to be payment-specific exceptions. Forms 1099-MISC, reporting substitute payments on gross proceeds, are going to be due February 15th of this year. Forms 1099-B, reporting proceeds from broker or barter transactions, are going to be due February 15th as well. And then Forms 1099-LS, reporting reportable life insurance sales, are generally going to be due by February 15th following the year of the payment if they're issued to the recipient. And it may be as early as January 15th of the year following the payment if they're issued by the issuer. Lori, I'm going to kick it over to you to walk us through the information return extensions. Thanks, Ellis. A taxpayer can generally obtain an automatic 30-day extension to file upon request. That said, this automatic extension is not available for the Form 1099-NEC. That's the one that you just talked about having the earlier deadline. To be granted an extension for that form, the payer needs to provide an explanation as to why the extension is needed. And the IRS is really looking for some type of hardship. They want to see something catastrophic to have happened before they're going to grant that 30-day extension. Extension requests may be submitted on a paper form, an 8809, or through the IRS fire system. Of course, the requests have to be submitted by the due date of the returns. And finally, a second 30-day extension is available under certain hardship conditions. Historically, the IRS would grant these second 30-day requests just automatically almost. You did have to provide an explanation, but anymore, they are really looking for that hardship like we just talked about with the 1099-NEC. So they're not just going to automatically give that additional 30-day extension. And it's important to understand that everything I just outlined only relates to the IRS copy. 
So there's going to be a separate process to ask for a 30-day extension for the recipient copy. And here the filer needs to send a letter requesting the extension. There's a fax number in the instructions to the form. It used to be a mailing process and then post-COVID the letters are sent via fax and the IRS is going to keep that process going forward. So you got to make sure don't send that in. You got to fax it. It's just a free form request for lack of a better term. It's, it's not a form that you fill out. It's just a letter. The instructions contain the requisite information, and it's just what you would expect, the payer's name, TIN, address, type of return, etc. As with the IRS copy, the request obviously has to be received on or before the due date. And here we just have the first 30 days. There's no concept of an additional 30-day request for the recipient copy. Yeah, the extension process has definitely gotten more cumbersome. I'm going to move along and talk about some changes that are relevant to tax year 2021 filings. So in this regard, we've got three categories. We've got some paper filing specific changes as well as, as electronic filing specific changes. With respect to paper forms, what's notable this year is that the Austin Submission Processing Center address has changed. So for those of you who are paper filers, I'd, I'd encourage you to take a look at the general guidance there. The address is new this year, so it's changed from prior year. With respect to electronic filings, publication 1220 was recently updated. For those of you that are unfamiliar with that file, publication 1220 is the document that covers the electronic submission of Form Series 1099 information returns. What's notable there is that Form 1099-NEC is now part of the combined federal state filing program. So it's confirming that the IRS will now accept submissions of that form for the 2021 tax year and its intent to file those or share that information directly with states. I do know that there are some concerns about that and, and, and we'll cover that in a moment. A few other notable changes that I think you should be all aware of is, as Lori alluded to, the extension of time to furnish recipient statements is now only available via fax. Form 1099-H and its instructions have been converted from an annual form to a continuous use form, so we'll just have to rely on one form going forward. Form 1098-F, the IRS noted that this year Form 1098-F reporting isn't required. And then what's an interesting one is the title of the Form 1099-MISC is changed from miscellaneous income to miscellaneous information. So maybe uh, clarifying the use of that form. Lori, I know I touched on the electronic filing specific changes and, and really about the use of the combined federal state filing program. Any thoughts or any reminders you want to share with the audience today? Yeah, thanks, Ellis. There's, there is a couple points here. So currently 30 states participate in the combined federal state filing program which of course makes processing much easier for any payor that has requirements to file a 1099 with both the IRS and a state taxing authority that participates in that program. One of the things to note though, in the pub, it's clear which states participate and which forms are covered. And 1099K is one of the forms that is covered. But several states that participate in the program are still not prepared to accept those forms for the 2021 filings. And I think this came about because some of the states changed their thresholds. And so they had different filing requirements and they haven't gone back now that the federal is changing their thresholds. So for those payments, a payment settlement organization that has to file a 1099-K is going to be required to report again directly to the state. So those states include Alabama, Connecticut, Delaware, Massachusetts, Montana, and North Carolina. So again, even though those states 
do participate in the program and the form 1099-K is listed as a form covered by the program, persons filing those forms are going to have to report directly to the state. And then Ellis had talked about the 1099-NEC now being included. I think it's important for payors that file those with the states to make sure that the state is able to process the information coming from the IRS. We do know that some states are still undecided and we're monitoring those very closely, but to see if they're still going to want payors to report directly this last year. So just something that we'll have to keep on our radar screens over the next week or so. We're running out of time. Thanks for that, Lori. This is a perfect segue into remembering some key tips as you go through your 1099 reporting season. Um, Lori talked about monitoring the guidance to make sure that you properly know whether or not a state requires direct submission or you can rely on the combined federal state filing programs. In addition to that, we'd encourage you to kind of continue to carefully read the instructions that are relevant to the type of information return that you're filing, but also the general form 1099 instructions. We'd like you to remind folks to complete all the required fields and, if warranted, report with the appropriate codes as specified by the instructions. A few other tips that we'd encourage you to think about is reconciliation. For those of you that are paper filers, make sure that you're reconciling the number of forms filed via paper. You want to make sure that those reconcile to your forms 1096. If and to the extent you are filing forms 1096 in batches, you want to make sure that each batch reconciles. For those of you who are electronic filers, you want to make sure that you do so electronically as well. You're reconciling your gross income amounts and your withholding amounts, and that's consistent with what you are reporting on a Form 945. Another interesting point here is, as we wrap things up is thinking about unexpected Forms 1099. When planning for year-end reporting, remember to account for Forms 1099 that are required under unexpected circumstances. That may include when U.S. persons are receiving amounts through non-U.S. entities, when you're making payments to undocumented payees, and then lastly, instances in which you might be making a payment to a foreign intermediary, but you're lacking allocation or underlying owner documentation. When you're thinking about payments that are made to U.S. persons, through non-U.S. entities. These are typically instances in which you're facing off against a non-U.S. intermediary who's chosen not to assume primary withholding and reporting responsibility, i.e. non-withholding foreign partnership or an NQI. In that case, they'll pass up withholding statements and underlying forms W-9. The scope of the reportable payments here might be larger than what you would normally pay that foreign intermediary, because we've got to keep in mind that payments of gross proceeds might apply as well as foreign source income reporting might apply. Concerning undocumented payees, in most instances, an undocumented individual will be presumed to be a U.S. non-exempt recipient, which would require Form 1099 reporting. So many undocumented entities are also assumed to be U.S. non-exempt recipients. So keep in mind that if and to the extent you have invalid or expired documentation, that may give rise to a Form 1099 reporting requirement. And then lastly, while typically payees receiving uh, payments through foreign intermediaries or flow-throughs are presumed to be non-U.S. payees themselves, there are certain instances in which the Chapter 61 rules claw back the characterization of those payees, right? So these are going to be instances in which an otherwise presumed foreign person is treated like a U.S. person requiring Form 1099 reporting. Notable instances in which this occur would be for payments of short-term interest or OID. 
Yeah, thanks, Ellis. I think that last point's really important because I think that gets overlooked a lot of times because most systems can't accommodate dual treatment of the same payee. And mm-hmm. so if you've got different types of income and you have to treat them differently, depending on that type of payment, it can get really difficult. So I think sometimes that that gets overlooked. And with that, we're going to wrap up today's episode. Thank you, Ellis, for joining me and sharing your valuable information. And thanks to all of you for joining us today. We hope you'll join us again for future episodes of IRW Coffee Break. 